Welcome to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to the third chapter of the book of Colossians. It is a brand new week. Really excited to go ahead and get this started with you today. Today we're going to be reading Colossians 3, 1 through 17. I'm very pumped up for this episode. Not that I'm not pumped up for every episode, but Colossians 3 in particular, this has been one of my go-tos and Many of these verses and the just these first 17 verses could be Bible studies in of themselves. So without further delay, let's go ahead and get started. Colossians 3, 1 through 17 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them but now you also put them all aside anger wrath malice slander and abusive speech from your mouth do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him a renewal in which there is no distinction between greek and jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Well, let's go ahead and go back to verse 1, and let's go ahead and get started. By the way, you probably already caught it, but we just hit on Colossians 3.16. I talk about that almost every single week, and now we actually have the scripture in front of us that we are going to be studying, which is really cool. So let's go ahead and go back to verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay, let's go ahead and start with raised up with Christ. This means born from above, born again, immersed in Christ, we're in union with him. Just like we read in John the third chapter when he's talking to Nicodemus about being born again says, keep seeking the things above. Well, what does that mean? Keep seeking means to be diligent, getting to the bottom of the matter. And we need to be seeking the fruit of our salvation and our desires and to become God's desires. We need to seek the things that Christ taught. We also need to seek the things taught through the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. I want you to think about the fruits of the Spirit, putting on the full armor of God. Those wonderful spiritual qualities found in Second Peter 1. We have to keep seeking those. That means we have to be diligent. 
every day, no breaks. We cannot give in. We cannot give up. There can't be off days. We wholeheartedly have to pursue Christ. And where is he? Where is Christ? Well, not only is he dwelling within us, but he is seated at the right hand of God. Heavenly things, again, are the fruits of the Spirit. And not only that, but we have to understand that Christ being seated at the right hand of God means that, again, he is sovereign over all things. Verse 2 says, set your mind on the things above. Well, where your mind is, what that's talking about, that's the control center. That's where emotions flow. And that's also a mind of understanding. And mind here can also be thought of as the heart as well, which, as you know, we had a very amazing study, an episode on the heart. So if you have not checked that out at this point, I would highly encourage you to do so. But we're talking about setting our minds on the things above. Well, here in the book of Colossians, the third chapter, we are we are hitting the ground running, aren't we? It's talking about keep seeking the things above. Set your minds on things above. Why are we talking about this? Because last week when we read Colossians 2, 16 through 23, Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was given a stern warnings about mysticism, about false teachings that can lead us astray. And if we keep seeking the things above where Christ is, and our focus is solely set on Him, and our mind is set on the things above, then we won't be focused on the things of earth. Because at the end of verse 2, it says, not on the things that are on the earth. And so with that, couple things I want to talk about, though, because these two verses are so important and they are so crucial to our walk because they are filled, jam-packed with spiritual truth. And also in verse one, where it says, you have been raised. That is the verb there actually means to be co-resurrected because their union with Christ. Believers are spiritually entered his death and resurrection at the moment of their conversion and have been and are now are alive in him so as to understand spiritual truth and realities, blessings, and the will of God. So those things are the things above that we have been justified, sanctified, and glorified. All those things are from God. Those are the things from above. And so, Jesus being seated at the right hand of God, that is a position of honor and majesty. And Jesus is now in high exaltation. And that also makes him a fountain of blessings for his people. And in verse 2, where it talks about setting our mind again, you know, this could also be translated as think or have this inner disposition. Kind of as a compass that points north, the believer's entire disposition should point itself towards the things of heaven. Heavenly thoughts can only come by understanding heaven realities from Scripture. In verse 3, Let's go to verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The verb's tense there indicates that a death occurred in the past. In this case, at the death of Jesus Christ, where believers were united with him, their penalty of sin was paid, and they arose with him in new life. And now we're... It talks about in the last part of verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is such a rich expression of 
several different meanings here. The first is that believers have a common spiritual life with the Father and the Son, and the world cannot understand the full import of the believer's new life, and also that believers are eternally secure, protected from all spiritual enemies, and with access to God's blessings. See, today, we're all about identity. I, I identify as this, I identify as that. But our true identification is Christ in us. That great mystery, right? That's a great and glorious mystery that has now been revealed to the saints. So I do not identify myself anymore as Nate. He is gone. He is dead. He is buried. My identity is found in Jesus Christ. And our true identity is found in him. Remember all those superheroes that have the masks on and they don't want their secret identity to be revealed? First one that comes to my mind is Batman. Well, that's kind of how it's like. And and not to be a a disrespectful person to our Lord here, but that's that's what we that's what we do. Our old self has been cast aside, put off. The old self is gone. The new has come. And we are clothed, not in a black mask, in a black cape with a bat symbol in the middle of our chest, but we are clothed in a white robe of righteousness because of Jesus Christ. And we will be giving a, given a new name in heaven one day. That's something that most of us may not think about. And let me ask you this question here. What do you spend your time thinking about? I mean, think about that. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? Are you worried about your job? Are you worried about your hobbies? Are you worried about your family? Are you thinking about the stresses of life, how to pay your bills, where you're going to eat next weekend? What are you thinking about lately? That's the big question. Does your mind soak in the Word of God? Are you constantly thinking about Christ and His Word and His promises? Are you thinking about things above? Are you thinking about what your new name might be in heaven? Is your mind fixed on the glory of God? Do you ever wonder what it's going to be like when we do pass from this life to the next and we see Christ face to face one day and behold his full, infinite, amazing, wondrous glory? Do you ever stop and think about those things? And I have to tell you something here. With life being as hectic as it is, More often than not, we don't even have time to think. And that's why some of us, and probably I would say most of us, have a very difficult time sleeping because our minds are constantly on the go. They don't ever rest. I have these deadlines and I have these commitments to do and I have all these things that I have to stress out and worry about because I'm responsible for so many things. And... A lot of times we stretch ourselves too thin. We take on more than we can handle, thinking that we are stronger than we are. And that leads to us passing on the couch with our kids kind of running rampant in the house because we have no more strength left. But what have you set your mind on lately? What are you thinking about right now? Because it's easy to get off of the thoughts of God. It's easy to do that because our fleshly nature wants what's contrary to what God wants. That's why it's so crucial to stay in Christ and to keep our minds set and keep seeking the things above. So let's go ahead and go to verse 4. When Christ, who is our life? I'm not even going to finish that. 
I'm not going to finish. I'm going to stop right there. He has to be our life. What is your life? What is your life? Is it your kids? Is it your job? Is it your spouse? Is it you? Our life is Christ. He is everything. So when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, talking about his second coming here, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Oh, there's that with him again. Isn't that amazing? How many times have we read in him or with him in these first three chapters? It's amazing. We're never alone, yet we want to be islands, don't we? We want to do it ourselves, and that's not <laughs> thats not what we're called to be. We're in Christ because our life is hidden with Christ. We don't, we don't exist anymore. We cease to be because there will be a glorious day where Christ will be revealed at his second coming then we will be revealed with him in glory. When he comes triumphantly, this time, this time, my friends, he is not going to be a baby in a manger. He is going to be a glorious eyes with the fire, bronze, perfect, holy, righteous, powerful, conquering king. And you can read about that in Revelation. But his glorious self will be revealed. And you know what's amazing? We will be revealed with him. I mean, <laughs> oh, it's so awesome. Therefore, verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Well, the first three there are talking about sexual sins. And we can kind of combine all those into 1 John 2, 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those all lead to idolatry. So when people engage in either greed or the sexual sins that Paul just spoke with here. They follow their own desires rather than God's, and in a way, in a true way, they are worshiping themselves, which is idolatry. Verse 6, For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Those who disobey God will not be shown mercy. There is going to come a time where God cannot be found. There is going to come a time where repentance and putting their trust and faith in Christ is going to be past due. It's going to be over. Those who disobey God will not be shown mercy. Only those who repent with godly sorrow and place their full trust and faith in Christ alone will they receive full pardon and salvation from the wrath of God. Remember in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, that because of the stubbornness and unrepentant of your heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves. That's what's happening. That's why we cannot sit idly by anymore and let our family members, our friends, our co-workers store up wrath for themselves. We need to let them know that judgment is coming and just beg them and plead with them. Come to Christ. Turn to Christ. Put your trust and faith in Him. Repent of your sins. Confess Him as God. Confess Him as Lord. And far too many times that doesn't happen. 
And you know, the sons of disobedience here, it's talking about unbelievers as bearing the very nature and character of the disobedient, rebellious, sinfulness that they love. That's really boils down to. They love their sin and they will keep doing it. There is a one of those street corner preachers. Um, I have my own views on that. I think I think those are admirable at times and other times I think there's better ways to do it, but nonetheless, there was a street preacher and he was talking one-on-one with this young man in college and he basically heard everything that he said. He was very respectful. You can definitely tell he was soaking in everything that he said. And what it really boiled down to is, you know what? I love my life. I love partying. I love the things I'm doing. And I don't, I don't really want to give it up. He knew that if he didn't put his trust and faith in Christ, that his eternal destination would be hell. And he just said, you know what? I just, I love it so much. I just can't give it up. Sounds a lot like the rich young ruler, except without all the money. Loved his life. The boastful pride of life. And it's hard. It's hard to walk away from that if you're so deep into it. But again, judgment is coming your way if you don't. Verse 7, and in them you also once walked. When you were living in them. So in our ignorance, we once walked in disobedience. We all have. We all have done that. And not only did we walk in disobedience, but we lived in disobedience and sin. We lived to sin. We lived to lust after people. We lived to get drunk. We lived to get high. We lived to be part of the in crowd. We lived for ourselves until Christ came along. Because verse 8 says this, but now, now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. I mean, we put them all aside. You know, the Greek word is used for taking off clothes, like one who removes his dirty clothes at the end of the day. We as believers must take off those filthy clothes, throw them off the side, those filthy garments, their old sinful lives. And you know, it says here, talking about anger, a deep smoldering bitterness, the settled heart attitude of an angry person. Are you an angry person? When certain stressful situations come your way, driving to work, coworker not seeing eye to eye with, people talking about you, people making up rumors, even people mistreating you, is your first response anger? Let's talk about wrath. Unlike God's settled and righteous wrath, This is a sudden outburst of sinful anger, usually the eruption that flows out of of anger. Kind of like what's happening right now in certain parts of the world, these explosive volcanoes. Are you explosive? There was a time where I was driving home from work. This was many years ago. And I was on the interstate, and it was actually a pretty pleasant drive. I actually like being on this particular part of this interstate. And... I noticed something out of the corner of my eye in the rearview mirror. And I didn't know what it was. And as I looked, I saw two cars behind me slamming into each other like bumper cars. So I, to my own shame, had to ask God for forgiveness, but I sped out of there. They were behind me. They weren't that far behind me because they were they were going fast. So I got out of there. And I was thinking to myself, that could end in the death of both of those people. Now, that's a really extreme situation. 
but we're talking about explosive anger. Sometimes today, people feel that it is a virtue to tell people off, to cuss people out, to put people in their place and explode on people to try to gain some respect. That doesn't gain your respect. God is telling us to put that stuff aside. What about malice? This is from the Greek term that denotes general moral evil. And this is probably talking about damage caused by evil speech. How's your speech? How's your speech? What comes out of your mouth? Because we talked about the most dangerous thing in our body. Remember that episode? James, the third chapter. The tongue is set on fire by hell. And it's full of deadly poison. What about slander? You know, the, the normal translation, when the word refers to God, is blasphemy. But here, since it refers to people... It is better translated as slander. To slander people, however, is to blaspheme God. Do you slander people? Or do you build them up? Are you gentle with your words? Or are you explosive? Are you encouraging? Or are you damaging? All those things we must lay aside. Because in verse 9, do not lie to one another. I'm, again... Do you see how in all these verses, and we've only done eight so far, have you seen what I said earlier about we could do a whole entire episode on every almost every single verse here? These are so jam-packed. And here's the beautiful thing about God. He is so profound, but he makes things so simple. And we can just say, don't lie to one another. That, that's that's pretty simple, right? That's pretty simple. But we could dig so deep into that in Scripture if we wanted to. We could talk seriously several hours on that. Or we, we can just pass by it. Don't lie to each other and then move on. But that's a wonderful thing about God. But it says, do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, lying is just like that. Even a white lie. God doesn't need a lie to accomplish his will. You don't need a lie about anything. But we do that sometimes. Sometimes we don't want to express how we truly feel about a situation because maybe we have some peer pressure going on at work and you know we don't really want to give our true feelings, so we just kind of be like a yes man and we go along with it and we kind of just compromise a little bit. So we are to lay aside the old self. Our old sinful self is naturally evil and is in direct opposition to God. And we must die to ourselves daily. Verse 10, and put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So I want you to pay attention here. Put on the new self. That is the born-again, regenerated self that God graciously gives us, which, again, was found in Ezekiel 36 or John 3. Talk about being born again. That's our new self. Who is being renewed being renewed is talking about sanctification. It's talking about sanctification. The new self is the new regenerated self, which replaces the old self. And that's what we are in Christ. We're new. And the reason believers are still in sin is because it is their unredeemed flesh. And we talked about that with Romans chapter 7 last week. We talked about that. 
So, yes, we have a new self, but that old sinful flesh is still going to rage on until our time on this earth is done. The mission that God has put us here for, the purpose he's put us here for, is accomplished. It'll be then that our struggle against the flesh will be done away with, and we will be glorified in heaven with him. And still talking about this word renewed, because this is such a powerful word. It says, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So getting more a little bit more deeper into that, the Greek verb contains a sense of contrast with the former reality. It begins a new quality of life that never before existed. Just like a baby is born complete but immature, the new self is complete but has the capacity to grow. And how do we do that? We grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A deep, thorough knowledge without which there can be no spiritual growth or renewal. And talking about here the image of the one who created him, it is God's plan that believers become progressively more like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. That's the goal. And that is what my prayer life has turned into lately. I have deviated away from God keep me safe, happy, healthy to Lord sanctify me into the image of your son. I want to be I want to be more like your son. I want to be be obedient to your will and your commands. I I just want to do what you want me to do in this life, not not as I will but as you will. Verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. This renewal is a divine miracle where we are born from above. This is the first step in our sanctification. We are justified, which is instantaneous, but then the journey of holiness on the narrow road begins. Verse 10 tells us our new self is being renewed so that we are conforming to the image of Christ. The deeper we go in Christ, the more we look, talk, think, and act like Christ. Verse 11 says there is no distinction. God's people are now not just one race or nation, but his elect and all throughout the world, those who faith are in Jesus Christ. There is no distinction anymore. There's no distinction of races. There's no distinction of, of people. It's only those that are in Christ. It's only those that are in Christ. And I want to talk about for a second here about Christ is all and in all. Because Jesus Christ is the Savior of all believers. He is equally the all-sufficient Lord of us all. And my friends, this is what I've been talking about for many months now. But the deeper I go with Christ, the more precious he becomes. The more of a great savior he becomes, the more the more I know about him, the more I come to love and appreciate him and Honestly, when I sin, it hurts me deeper because it not because it affects me, it's because it hurts my Lord. But he is my all and he is everything to me. And I just I cannot imagine my life without him. And some of us that have been married to people that have been in our lives for a long time, you know, you think about what it would be like without them sometimes, not in a way that you wish you'd get away from them, but just thinking about that reality. And I told my wife that just, just recently, I said, I, 
cannot imagine my life without you. There is no Nate without you. And how much more so is that with Jesus Christ? He is my all in all. And you know, kind of talking about there is no distinction here. There's always, always, always social barriers in there. Talk about that today, right? There's different peoples, there's different socioeconomical type of groups, hierarchies. All those things don't mean a thing in Christ. He is a savior of us all. And to those who are the sons of disobedience, well, not so much. You know, in view of what God has done through Jesus Christ for the believer, you know, Paul through the Holy Spirit here describes the behavior and attitude God expects in response. Talking about verse 12 here, where it says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is what we need to be like. And you know, one thing I don't want us to skip over in verse 12 is that we have been chosen of God. And just for a second here, I want to I want you to look with me in the book of John in the 15th chapter. In verse 16, listen to this. You did not choose me. This is Jesus talking. You did not choose me, but I chose you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are chosen. That is an honor that goes above any honor and any privilege that you could ever experience on earth. You could win Super Bowl MVP. You could be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You could be the President of the United States. You could even be a king in some country that is not the United States. Being chosen of God is the most distinct, high honor position and privilege anybody could ever have. And you know what? Because we're chosen by God, by God, guess what happens? Guess how he feels about us? He says, holy and beloved. That's what we are to him. That's the reality. That's the truth. So why do we chase after the world? We can't chase after the world. It says, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We lay aside sin to put on those things. That's what we're doing. So, we are objects of God's love. And not just a love, a very special, unique love that cannot be found anywhere else. Because love today has taken a turn and everything is romanticized. It's all about, honestly, it's all about sex now. That unhinged, lustful passion for somebody else. That's not what love is, my friends. That's not what love is. The love that takes a hardened heart, sinner, in direct opposition of God and chooses them and gives them a heart of flesh, gives them a new spirit and puts his spirit within us, makes us a new creation, sanctifies us and glorifies us in the end. That's the love. That's the love that people are missing. 
That is what's missing in our world. And it says we need to put on a heart of compassion. We need to put on a heart of compassion. We need to be kind. This is talking about the goodness towards others. Humility. This is what that's what true love really is. It's humility. It's putting others above yourself. Gentleness. That means, you know, we can be willing to suffer injury or insult rather than inflict such hurts. I mean, we can deal with it and still be kind through it all. And being patient with people, long suffering. The opposite of that explosive anger we talked about earlier, right? Wrath, remember that? That's the opposite of that. And the patience, you know, that also is talking about enduring injustice and also troubling circumstances with hope for coming relief. Who's our relief? What's the hope? Christ. It's Christ. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. How often are we supposed to forgive? 70 times 7, correct? That means the amount of times we forgive people ought to be unlimited. And... Christ is the perfect model of forgiveness because he has forgiven us all of our sins completely, totally. So believers must be willing to forgive others. Verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love. So, Beyond compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Beyond all those things, put on love. The greatest is love, right? Which is the perfect bond of unity. Let me ask you a question. Do you want unity in your life? Do you want unity in your family, your work, your kids, your church? You need to put on love. Because it binds everyone and everything together. Not our love, Christ's love. What did Colossians 1.17 say again? And in him all things hold together. And he is love. Are you seeing the connections there? Absolutely you are. It says put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. That is a perfect bond of unity. God's supernatural love poured into the hearts of believers is the glue of us as people and as his beloved church. That's the glue that holds us and the church together. Let's look at verse 15. It says, Let the peace of Christ... Rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. How many times have we seen thankful or gratitude in Colossians? By the way, that's a aspect of God's will for our lives. That's why that's a reoccurring theme. Be thankful, be thankful. Okay, now let's go back to verse 15 in the beginning. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What's one of the fruits, isn't it? Peace, love, joy, peace. The Greek word peace here refers to both the call of God to salvation and consequent peace with him and the attitude of rest or security believers have because of that eternal peace. We have peace 
through Christ because he is our all in all. And we were called in one body. That's the church. Go back to verse 14. We're talking about unity. We are one and we are a thankful people. Now, getting to verse 16. You've been waiting for this moment since we started Colossians. Maybe you weren't, but I am. <laughs> Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Oh, there's that thankfulness again. But let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I'll tell you what, how do we know what to put on, what to avoid, how to be holy like Christ, how to know God's heart? That is all found in Scripture. That is all found in Scripture. And the what does that mean? Let the word of Christ. That is scripture itself. This book that you hold in your hand is not any ordinary book. These are the living, breathing words of God Almighty Himself. That is scripture. The Holy and Spirit inspired scripture. The word of revelation He brought into the world. The richly dwell within you. What does richly mean? That may be more understood as abundantly or extravagantly rich. And dwell means to live within or to be at home. Scripture ought to be your home. Scripture should permeate every aspect of the believer's life, control every thought, word, and deed. You know, this concept is similar to being filled with the Holy Spirit, found in Ephesians 5.18, since the results of each are the same, in all honesty. In Ephesians 5.18, the power and motivation for all the effects is the filling of the Holy Spirit, being spirit-controlled. Here it is the word richly dwelling, and those two realities are one and the same. The Holy Spirit fills the life controlled by His Word. You know, this also emphasizes that the filling of the Spirit is not some type of emotional experience, but a steady controlling of the life by obedience to the truth of God's word. That's the reality. We are controlled by the word. It is our guide to heaven. That's what it really is. It controls us. It sanctifies us. It dwells within us. It makes us holy. And it gives us an intimate knowledge of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful, amazing gift of God is His Holy Word. Verse 17, as we conclude, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Everything that we do, everything we say, everything about us needs to be done in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're at work and you know you're stressed out and you're anxious and you're not getting the recognition and you're upset, my question is, who are you working for? Why do you do it? If it's anything other than Christ, it's wrong. And this is where Christians need, need to be the best workers of any workers in any industry that you're in. Any field of work you're in, we ought to be the best. We ought to be those people who put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, putting on love. Letting his the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and letting that holy, precious word of God richly dwell within us. Because from that, the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of the word of the heart, it just what happens is it just flows from us and flows out of us. So that whatever we do, word or deed, we do it for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we do it for. It's all for him. It's all for him. 
This is this is the new self. We don't live for ourselves. Our old selves is gone. Where where is it at? It's hidden in Christ. That old self is long gone. We are a new creation. Then, oh, here it is again, my friends. It says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, comma, are you ready for this? Giving thanks through him, Christ, to God the Father. Giving thanks, giving thanks, being thankful. That is so amazing. We need to give thanks. Wow. What a ride Colossians has been thus far. Wouldn't you agree? And how about Colossians, the third chapter? I mean, so amazing, so deep, so edifying, so good for our souls. What a savior. What a privilege, what an honor, what a God we serve. I am always just in awe of him and what he's done. Thank you, Lord. So with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And until next time, God bless you, my friends.